Um, here we go. We're going to talk about the comeback, and, and really today is setbacks is what I want to talk to you about and what I really want to focus on. Um, week one, um, we titled it Comeback to What? Or a.k.a. Holy Cow. <laughs> Amen. And then week two, we called it Comeback to What? Comeback to Freedom. Freedom. Uh, today, you'll see the message as we talk about setbacks, and that's what we're going to be talking about. I'm going to start off with a story. How many of you like stories? All right, I like stories, so I'm going to start off with a story. Um, this story is a story that I think I've actually shared here before. I know I've shared it before. I just don't remember where I've shared it. I think it was here, so if it was, forgive me for sharing it twice, but it applies good with today's message. But this is what happens. I forgot the number of what it was, I, I went, I, I was in a, I had a calculator in front of me, and I did um, 12 times like 54, and then I got the number, and then that's not counting sometimes midweek, sometimes I guessing, and I got the number of how many servants, sermons I somewhat have preached in my lifetime. So sometimes it's hard to know what I've preached and what I have not preached, and something, some messages will stick out more than others in my mind, but um, same thing with stories. So here we go. I want to share this story with you as a, and you'll probably be like, oh yeah, I remember this. And if that is, then that means I shared it here. Watch this. It's about this man. Um, it's a story about this man. And then I'll tell you who he is at the end because then I'm going to spoil it. And you might be able to scream out his name if I have shared this with you. But it was a man who seemed, it says here, to fail at everything that he attempted to do. It says he has always been patient expecting immediate results, and often he would quit because it did not come about. It says here, when this man was five, his father died, and when he was 14, he made the mistake of dropping out of school to get a job. He bounced from odd job to another, from farming to operating a street car to serving in the army. Does it sound familiar yet? No? He didn't like any of the jobs he got, so he ended up getting fired most of the times. He eventually became a fireman on a steam locomotive for the Southern Railway. He actually liked that job, but then shortly after, shortly after he married, he was fired right after he got married. On the same day that he got fired from this job that he finally liked, his wife told him that they were expecting their first child. Doesn't look too good for this guy. Poor, poor dude. Later on, his wife eventually can't deal with it, so she leaves him. His wife leaves him. The Great Depression now hits. It's a true story, by the way. He even has a harder time finding a job now. He tried to study law. He soon drops law. He tried a one petty job after another, and he couldn't find any. He lost each of them. He finally came to a realization of maybe he's just a loser. He's never going to become anything. He then decided he would, can't believe he actually attempted this, kidnap his own daughter. To, and hold her for ransom. But he failed at that too. And he tried. It didn't work. He couldn't even kidnap his daughter. Then he finally tried to run a little cafe. And it seemed to be working. It was prospering. It was growing. And then a highway was built. And traffic stopped coming past this cafe. Poor guy. Anyone know yet who it is? Before he knew it, he was an old man. And then he got his first social security check. It was a measly $105. That's it. He couldn't live off that. So the realization of his age and his dire financial situation just shocked him and pressed him and whatnot. But he jumped out. He jolted forward through all, everything he was going through, and he decided to fight back. And I love how the article says it, to fight back with a vengeance. He refused to admit at old age defeat and to live the rest of his life off this weak government check. So he took this first little check, and he started a new business venture. And it became today what you and I know as KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Harlan Sanders was the man, Colonel Sanders, the old man with the nice little white beard. That's what I'm talking about to you today. He refused to accept failure, refused to accept failure as final. Isn't that a good story? Too bad he got to um, receive it at his old age, though. I'm going to talk to you today just about kind of, that kind of life today, Colonel Sanders. And what I'm going to talk to you about today is more, uh, not necessarily failure, but on setbacks. Anyone here ever receive a setback? 
a setback, something that has just slowed you down. We're going to talk about that. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit today about the children of Israel. If you could turn your Bibles and open them to Exodus for me and just stop at, uh, stop at chapter 14 with me. Exodus 14, if you could just do that. Can you give me an amen when you get there so I can know everyone's in Exodus 14? You should have your Bibles at church. All the people that have Bibles at church, say amen loud. You should have your Bibles at church. Let's do it one time. The people that have their Bibles, say it out loud. You should have your Bible at church. Man, we still love the ones that don't. They'll bring them next week. Don't worry. Here you go. Um, Exodus chapter 14. We should be there. If not, if you don't have your Bible, take a deep breath. Don't worry about it. We're going to have it up there for you. Praise God for technology. Here we go. Before we jump into this, we're going to talk about the children of Israel. All right, the children of Israel. We're gonna, but I want to summarize the children of Israel and how we got to where we're at right now in chapter 14. And this is uh, what could take years. I'm going to try to do it in minutes. Okay. Here, here you have the children of Israel. They're in chapter 14. And if you, if you have any kind of translation in your Bible, somewhere in the bold, it says something about the Red Sea, right? Either it says Red Sea crossing or who knows what other translations yours might say. Does anyone else say anything different than the Red Sea crossing? Anyone else for chapter 14? Shoot it out now. Escape from where? Escape through the Red Sea. Cool, that's a good way of looking at it. So, escape through the Red Sea, the Red Sea crossing. Now, as we talk about the children of Israel leading to this exodus that we're about to experience here, we need to, let me explain it to you this way. And if you don't pay attention, you're just going to be lost and you're going to miss out this whole message. But check this out. You can never, you will never understand the children of Israel and their exodus if you don't first understand Abraham and who Abraham is, Okay. I need you to understand that. To start off with the children of Israel, one must first start off with Abraham. Now let's talk a little bit about Abraham and how we talk about the children of Israel later. If you, we don't have time. If not, I will do a whole study on Abraham. But So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a whole summary on Abraham real quick. Watch this. Abraham, who was he? Well, Abraham was a man who was given many promises by God. He was given promises by God. It has any, by the show of hands, has anyone here been watching the, the Bible on History Channel? All right, cool. Some good things. Some things you're like, mm, I haven't read that in the Bible. That's good. All in all, it's, it's, it's done a pretty good job, okay? Uh, there are things that are a little bit different, but it's okay. But watch this. Abraham was one of those characters that he decided to put in the, and, and, I, and I thank him for doing that because I think that's a very important character to add into your story. But Abraham was given promises by God, and, and some of the promises of some that were given to him, one was his name would be great. So today, Abraham's name is great. You go to Israel, the name that they mention a lot is Abraham, 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 and, and you'll see why. Um, in the New Testament, um, we see that Abraham's name, even to you and I, uh, uh, means something. We, we, we also benefit from the promises that were given to Abraham. And we kind of, we kind of as adopted sons say, cool, we're in Abraham's benefits too. And, and that's a good thing. So Abraham's name would be great. And today, here are thousands of years later, 4,000 or whatnot, and still um, his name is great. Amen. Number two, God gives him a promise like all the nations would be blessed through you, Abraham, and through your seed. Everyone know what a seed is, right? Through your what? Through your children and your children's children, everyone would be blessed. We see that. If you go home, Google the greatest songwriters, greatest producers, greatest directors, you'll be amazed, great um, business owners, how the majority of them are the seed of Abraham. I kid you not. I'm not even lying. Abraham's seed, they're blessing nations even today. Even today. Huge promises that God has kept with Abraham. He even gave him one, which was this one. Abraham, at your old age, you will have a child. You will have children. And your children, the Lord tells them, your offspring will be numerous as the stars are in the sky and as the sand is on the seashore. Anyone ever read that verse? As a matter of fact, the author of Hebrews actually uh, goes ahead and confirms what was written and what was said and promised in the Old Testament. Watch Hebrews eleven twelve. 12. Hebrews, the author says, And so from this one man, being Abraham, came descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the what? On the seashore. That's a lot of children, okay? That's a lot of children. So what is this promise? Here's another one. He was to be the father, the father of what? A father of many, innumerable seed. Can you imagine being Abraham and say, hey, baby, 
You see those stars? And you're 100 years old. Your wife is 100 years old without a child. He says, yeah, honey. She goes, that's how many children we're going to have. She goes, you crazy. I'm 100 years old, man. And that's the promise. You see the seashore? That's how many children we will have. Uh, if we keep on with the promises, we'll see that one of his children through one son, his name was Ishmael. You've ever heard of the story of Ishmael in the Old Testament? Well, Ishmael, through Ishmael came this nation of people, this big group of people called the Arabs. All the Arabs came from this one man named Ishmael, one of Abraham's sons. And then Abraham has another son, which you and I, we call, and Scripture calls the son of promise. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him. Anyone know his name? Scream it out. Good. Isaac. So he has two sons. One is Ishmael, came the Arabs. And then comes this other son by the name of Isaac, the son of promise. And out of him comes what we would call the Israelites. Israelites. As a matter of fact, if you really study the life of Abraham, Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has another son by the name of Jacob. That Jacob one day has a little fight with God. God dislocates his hip and says, your name should no longer be Jacob. But from now on, Jacob, your name should be Israel. Let me explain to you what that means. Israel, I needed to call you Israel because I promised your grandfather, Abraham, that out of him will come many. And a mighty nation that would bless the world. Well, if you study Israel, a.k.a. Jacob, Israel has 12 sons and many other children, but 12 that had a special role. And those 12 would eventually plant themselves in different regions in the Middle East. And they would start what is called the 12 tribes of Israel. Marking a nation. The Israelites. The children of Israel real good. You guys are with me so far? We're just introducing the message though. Because of this, this is why the Islamics call him the father of Islam. If you go and you talk to a Muslim and you say, Abraham is our father, they're going to look at you and say, absolutely not. Abraham is our father. Let me tell you why. They're right. You're right. They're both right. Because Abraham is the father of Islam in a way because he was Ishmael's father. That's why they fight so much. Do you understand today in the Middle East, the two people that are fighting, they're actually descendants of two brothers, and they're still fighting today. Two brothers are still fighting today, and they are Abraham's two sons. So, so watch this. The, the Muslims call Abraham our father. He's the father of Islam. And then the Jews scream out and say, absolutely not, Islam. Our father is the father of the what? Want to shoot it out? The father of the? Starts with a J. Yeah. Father of the? Jews. The father of Israel, and that's why they continue to fight. So the Islamics call him the father of Islam, the Jews call him the father of Israel, and everyone is fighting because Abraham is our father. No, Abraham is our father, and all this is going on. Can you imagine what a mess that is? They're still fighting, but you want to know they're not just fighting about daddy. You know what else they're fighting for? One of the main promises that I want to talk to you about today. Anyone know what else they're fighting for? There's a piece of land that they're fighting for. And that's another promise that was given to Abraham. God took Abraham from his land and said, Abraham, I want you to go to this country that you know nothing of. And he says, all right. Picked up his bags, picked up his fellow people, picked up all the, all, all the, all the servants. And he says, let's go. We've got to go. Where are we going? I don't know. To a land that God has given us. And, and God says, it's a land that is flowing milk and honey. It's beautiful land. And Abraham's like, dope, I'm going with my people. And as Abraham goes, he, he's looking for this land. So my last fact that I want to give you, my last promise about Abraham is this one. And it's a, it's an, I wrote this down in my notes. Important fact of the day. And, and I need you to understand this so you could get today's preaching. Today's important fact for today is this, that Abraham was promised a land. A land that he, and I need you to listen to this because you're not going to understand today's preaching if you don't understand this. I promise you, you won't get the preaching. You won't. It's a land that Abraham... And his children were to possess. And I need you to get this next note. And it was to be their land forever. It was to be their land when? Okay. So what, what's going on right now today in 2013? You have a bunch of Islamic people. You have a bunch of Palestinian people living in what the Jews say. That's our land. 
And the Islamic people are looking at them and says, what are you talking about? We've been living here for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. You can't come over here now and say it's your land. And the Israelites are like saying, you need to get out because our father Abraham was promised that land. So you have all these Muslims that are in their land. And guess what they're telling back to Israel? He's our father too, and he promised it to our father too. So it's us too. So you have this fight between two brothers that's going on today. So you need to keep in mind as we go over scripture today and as we go over Exodus 14, one of the main facts that I want to talk about today is that there was a land that was promised to the children of Israel, to their father, father, father named Abraham, and it was promised to them that they would live there forever. Everyone with me so far? Can I fast forward now? I'm going to hit the fast forward button and and the movie's going to flash forward now. Here it is. What's happened? Well, we all know the story of Joseph later on. Um, there's a famine. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Israel has his sons. But one son was hated because he was the most favored son. His name was Joseph. And as Joseph was favored, I'm trying to do everything fast so I can get into my message. As Joseph was favored, um, they were about to kill him. We know the whole story. Thrown in a ditch, left to die, then taken him out, then sold him to slavery, then taken him um, to um, 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 uh, Potiphar's house. Then he was accused of rape. Then from being accused of rape, he was thrown back into prison. Then in prison, he found favor with the guards. Then he was taken out of prison. And then he was taken to Pharaoh. And then he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. And then Pharaoh fell in love with him. And then he lifted him up to be second in charge in Egypt. And now here's Joseph, second in charge. And Joseph now has an amazing thing. Check this out. He's the prime minister of Egypt. There's no one in control of Egypt other than Pharaoh and number two, Joseph. If Pharaoh were to die, Joseph would rise up and become the new Pharaoh. He was, he was going to become, he's the man. So let's fast forward now. Joseph now dies. And, 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 and in the process, before he dies, he sees that his family is in a distant land. And he's in Egypt living as a king. And, and the famine has hit. And people need food. And people need water. And one day, the brothers that were going to kill him come knocking at the palace doors. And, and, and Joseph opens up and says, how can I help you? And he realizes that it's his brothers who are dying because they have no food. Well, long story short. Joseph saves his own family. He tells his brothers, bring your dad and bring all of his descendants over to Egypt so that they can live here and we'll take care of them. Now, this is huge. Why? Because then in Egypt, guess what happens to Israel? The children of Israel begin to what? Grow, multiply, and they begin to prosper and they too begin to live well because of Joseph and his relationship with Pharaoh. Does everyone understand where we're at? All right, now let's get into the message. So now this Pharaoh dies. Joseph dies. As a matter of fact, let me tell you who's in power now. It's a man, Pharaoh, who is actually Moses' somewhat brother. And he's in power now. And as this Pharaoh is in power, the Bible teaches us that this Pharaoh forgets about Joseph. And forgets about the favor over Joseph and the children of Israel. As a matter of fact... Israel's population becomes a threat to this Pharaoh. Says, will they become more than us? So he grabs all the children of Israel. Listen now, because now hard things and very difficult things are going to happen. And makes them their slave. Now they're going to build pyramids for us and statues. And we're going to beat them. And we're going to treat them like slaves. Men and women and children that lived great like kings and are treated like slaves. So he makes them that. And now here is Israel. We're talking about Israel, the nation now. They're in Egypt, and they're in Egypt in captivity. Does anyone know more or less for how many years they were in captivity for? Anyone want to shoot it out a number? 400 years getting, imagine this, all that you know is you getting beaten, is you being abused, your daddy being beaten and abused, your daddy's daddy, your daddy's 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 daddy, and everyone is in captivity as slaves in Egypt under the Egyptian rule and cruelty. But something happens. Here it is. The Lord says, enough. I'm done. And he lifts up a deliverer by the name of Moses. So cool. Draw out of the water is his name, Moses, who will eventually draw them out, out of Egypt. Now, as we look at Moses, he draws this deliverer out, and he confronts Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, Moses, I'm not letting no one go. And Moses like, let my people go. He doesn't listen to him, so plagues hit. And we don't have time to go over all the plagues. One of the worst ones were the son of Pharaoh ends up dying. 
He kills every firstborn. Pharaoh gets so mad. He says, get out of here and take the children of Israel with you. I don't want to see you anymore. And Moses was, yes. He grabs about two million people. Two million people. Biggest church ever. And he leads them out of Egypt. Let's get out of here. As Moses is leading millions of people out of Egypt, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, it says. And Pharaoh begins to rally up the best of his armies and the best chariot fighters in Egypt. And they begin to chase and pursue Israel. Is everyone with me so far? So I ask you now, well, where's Israel going, guys? I need you to listen. Israel is leaving Egypt and they're taking off with Moses in the forefront. But I'm going to ask you a question now. Where's Israel going? Come on, I need an answer. Promised land. So they're going to this promised land that they know nothing of. They just know that it's rivers of, of milk and honey. It's a beautiful place. And they're taking off with this crazy leader named Moses. And as they're, as they're running out there, I guess they're trying to get to this promised land. Well, Exodus 3 shows us what God told Moses. Check out Exodus 3. We're going to read verse 7 and 8 really quick. It says, And the Lord said, and he said this to Moses, I have surely, I have seen, look, look what he says, the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows, says the Lord. Verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land. Are you listening? Okay. To a good and large land. And look what he says next. To a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Well, where are they headed? They're headed back to the, they're headed to the promised land. They're headed to a place which was promised to them. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago to one of their fathers by the name of Abraham. Can you imagine for 400 years they've been beaten? They've been beaten. Their backs have scars. Their face are marked. And like, what happened to you? I've been beaten by the Egyptians. And for 400 years being beaten, all they heard, all they've heard is stories being down told to them about this promised land that was promised to them. Can you imagine for 400 years hearing those stories and saying, well, where in the heck is it? Because all I know is these ridiculous Egyptians that they're about to kill me at any moment right now. And here they are being told these stories of this promised land. And then here comes Moses and he frees them out of here. And then here comes, as Moses is freeing them, the problem that we're going to face now. There's a group of individuals that are chasing them, but... What I want to talk about is our series, The Comeback, because I truly believe that from the promise of Abraham to the 400 years of them being in captivity, for the first time in Scripture in Exodus 14, you and I are seeing something that is so important, and here it is. Israel is in the process of making a comeback. And the comeback that they're trying to make is to get to the land that was promised to them. And this is what I want to talk to you about now as you turn to Exodus 14. There's a huge problem because as they're running out of Egypt, they look back, and from a distance, they see their enemy is right behind them, and they're chasing them, and they're like, oh, no, we're all going to die here. Now, now, let's get into Scripture really quick. If you're in chapter 14, go to verse 10. Verse 10 says this. It says, and when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their what? Their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were, I love this part, you can circle this, they were what? Yeah, they were just happy. Barbecue time. No, they were very afraid. One translation says this, ready? They feared greatly. So here it is, and it says, they were very afraid, and the children of Israel, what? What they do now? They cry out to the Lord. Let me stop for a second. Here are the children of Israel. They're making a comeback. They're being freed from sin. They're being freed from captivity. They're being freed from bondage. And in the process of being freed, they look back and they see their enemy behind them. And when they see the enemy behind them, the Bible says they began to fear greatly. They began to be very afraid. Okay, what do you see here? Fear, 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 fear all over the Bible. This is called fear. 
And when you see this fear, you say, well, why would they go through this? Well, I'm going to ask you. It relates to you, and it relates to me. It relates to all of us. When the enemy has the upper hand on our lives, and he has a hand over our lives for such a long time, and you finally get to a place in your life, I need you to catch this, where you begin to live outside of the enemy's control, right? We've all done that. We've all experienced that if we're sitting here, hopefully. Where there's been areas in your life where Satan has had total control over you, and finally you've been set free from Satan's control. God has delivered you, or God is setting you free, and you finally step outside of the control of Satan, and you finally could say, I could take a deep breath because now I'm free. Okay, I need you to catch this. But then you look back as you're living outside of his control that he's had over your life for years. And as you are living this life of freedom now, watch this. Something happens to you. And it's here's this enemy who hasn't gone anywhere. The next day he comes and he begins to blow winds of threats your way. He begins to lie to your ears again. And then what do we start to do? We start to panic. Because all we remember is the control that this man had over my life. I need you to to understand this. Because I truly believe that sitting in a church even like this, that there are people in here that are filled with fear. Because I have fears in my life. So I'm sure some of you have fears. We have to have. And one of my encouragements to you today is this, that you need to get over your fear. If we're going to serve the Lord we need to get over the fear. Your fear, maybe, maybe your fear is to fear to follow the Lord. Maybe it's your fear to leave what's behind that wasn't working for you. You guys know what I'm talking about? It wasn't going to work out. But you, you, you have a fear to leave it behind. A fear that you've always had someone else telling you what to do and you can't even make a decision for yourself. You've always been controlled. There's a fear. There's a fear. And what are we seeing here in Exodus chapter 14? And I need you, if you want to write any notes, you can write this. What we're seeing here is that in the process of their comeback, they run into a setback. And their setback is the enemy is right behind us. Hey, come here. Is that any different with you and I? Is it? Because if you look back, trust me, guess who you're going to see? The enemy's right there, just waiting for you. He's there. Here's the children of Israel. They're in their comeback. They're in the process of making their comeback. And they're running, and they run into this setback. And in life, I asked you before I started, has anyone here ever had a setback? Some of you raised your hands. Well, let me explain to you what that means. In life, have you ever been, have you ever been hindered? Ever been hindered? Perhaps you've been delayed. Maybe you've shown slow progress of something because you have a setback in your life. Let, let me speak spiritual now. You know God's calling you somewhere? And you can't get to where God is calling you? Because there are things in your life that are delaying you. There is something in your life that is slowing you down, your progress. There are situations in your life that are not getting you to where God has you. And you have setbacks in your life. Anyone here have a setback? You hit a moment in your life that everything is going well. But then you hit a bump in the road, which is called a setback. Do I have to get more detailed? For example, I'm following Christ now. But now my ex-boyfriend starts calling me. Setbacks. What a coincidence that he's calling you now. Um, I finally got a good job that I've been praying for. My whole church fasted for it, but now they want me to do something unethical. Ever happened to you? Setbacks. When you look at setbacks, I need you to realize as we get into the scripture that we are not, and you are not the only one that has gone or is going through them. I wrote this down in my notes since we've been talking a little bit about the ring and boxing. A setback is that the bell at the end of the fight. Listen, listen. A setback is the bell at the end of the round. That's what a setback is. It doesn't mean that the fight's over. It means there's another round for you. Just relax. It's not final and it's not forever setbacks. Listen. 
It's a period in your life that you've been hindered. It's a period of your life where maybe you've been delayed. And a period of your life where, where your progress has been slowed down a bit. And you're like, man, I know that God doesn't want me to continue to live like this or struggle like this. If you're saying that, it's because you've had a setback in your life. Let's, let's go to verse 11 and 12 in chapter 14. Watch what happens here. So then the Israelites, they said to Moses, they say this, were there no graves in Egypt? Have you taken us away to die in this wilderness? Look what they say. Why have you dealt with us, Moses? To bring us out of Egypt. Look at verse 12. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone, leave us alone so that we could serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better. Let me give you a better word for that. Ready? For it would have been easier for us. Because let's be honest, some of us just want to serve easy. None of us want to serve difficult. Just a easy. If I, if I can serve easy, count on me. But if you want me to serve difficult, uh-uh, I'm not called for that ministry. Come on. Am I, am I talking about myself? So watch this. It's easier. It's better for us to serve the Egyptians. If now we're here, we're going to die in the wilderness. What's happening here? Here's Israel. They're so close to their comeback. They're making this comeback. A setback arises. And now they're proclaiming death over their lives. What are they proclaiming? It's better for us to serve Egypt. Church, I tell you this right now. It is never better for us to go back and live the life that we did when we were in bondage. Just because it's easier than to live a life that is confronting and facing setbacks that are actually meant to push us forward. If you missed that, man, you're missing this whole message. Stop falling asleep in the message and listen. This is an amazing point of my life where I look at this and I say, man, this is God speaking to me because there have been moments in my life where I have grabbed these verses and said, I've lived this. Where I've decided not to, not to face and not to confront setbacks that were actually just meant by God to push me forward. Instead, I've gone back. And I've gone back to what God did not want me to do. And I'm going to tell you something that you can write down in your notes. Here it is. Your comeback that God has in you is better than your setback. I promise you that. Your comeback is better than your setback. Uh, I, I send out, uh, the church sent out a um, text of Charles Stanley. And Charles Stanley says this. Adversity is not simply a tool. It is God's most effective tool for the advancement of your spiritual lives. Man, Charles. The circumstances and events that we see as setbacks are oftentimes the very things that launch us into periods of intense spiritual growth. Once we begin to understand this and accept it as a spiritual fact of life, adversity becomes easier to bear. That's good stuff. I read that quote from Charles Stanley, and I could say this, man, that our setback is a setup for our comeback. That's all it is. Oh, no, we're, we're, we're going to get freed. Hallelujah. You could almost, come on, you could almost picture the children of Israel, right? They're singing songs. Hallelujah, mi Dios, gloria, Padre, Jesús, hallelujah. One of them looked back. Oh, no, my God, you have cursed me. I'm going to die. They changed their whole song. They were singing songs of praise because they were being freed from bondage. When one of them looks back, they see their enemy behind them, and their songs of bondage, I mean, their songs of worship now become songs of, of bondage again and defeat again. And God is almost like, did I not set you free out of Egypt? I'm moving you past Egypt. You take a look back, and you see your enemy hunting you down, and the worship in you just begins to change. And we look at that and we say well not me well yes you and yes me because there are moments in our lives where God does an awesome miracle over here and frees us from what we're praying for and we're traveling worshiping God and when we get to a place of just pure comfort and pure awesomeness in God and singing songs of worship to the Lord there is a moment where we realize wait a minute everything is not perfect in life and we see maybe it's that same thing maybe it's that same problem or just a whole new problem in itself coming right back to us and our act of worship begins to change to Lord I thank you for what you did over there and then while we're over here we say well Lord why in the heck will you do what you're doing to me over here 
And it's no different from the children of Israel to you and I. Where we're worshiping God one moment and then we're questioning God the next moment. Any witnesses? Where we're giving glory to the Lord over here and we're telling the Lord we are cursed and dying over there. Any witnesses? And that is exactly what the children of Israel are going through. So I now, as I read the next six verses, I want to tell you that this setback that is approaching is a setup for your comeback. I need you to get that. Look at verse 13 with me. And we're just going to flow through these scriptures as we get ready to make some points. It says, and Moses said to the people, because everyone's freaking out and everyone's afraid. And everyone's complaining. So Moses says to the people, do not be afraid, but stand still. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. Hey, let me ask you a question. You think Moses believed that? You think so? Let's keep reading. Verse 14. Uh, are we in 14? 14. The Lord will fight for you. And you shall hold your peace. What an encourager, Moses. Moses had the gift of encouragement. You're going to win. You're going to go out there. And you're going to play four more quarters, two more quarters. And you're going to beat the enemy down. And watch the Lord, right? And it was like, ah, victory, right? Yeah. Watch what happens next. So something happens between 14 and 15 when Moses comes to the Lord. And look what the Lord tells Moses, verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, ever had this moment? Why are you crying to me, man? Why do you cry to me? Anyone ever cry to the Lord? No? And the Lord's like, you're talking to me? How frustrating must have been, this must have been for Moses. There's a victory coming. Watch the salvation of the Lord. Shine your boots or your sandals. We're going to win this thing. And everyone's like, you sure, Moses? He's like, yeah. And then he's like, absolutely not. I don't know how we're going to do this. I'm like, God. And he starts to cry to God, God. And the Lord looks at him now in verse 15 and says, why do you, Moses, cry to me? I love that, man. Look what he tells him next. He says, you go tell the what? You tell the children of Israel the what? Yeah, we're on 16, but we're supposed to be on 15. He says this. Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's good. Oh, man. Moses, you're crying to me, but, but I'm not getting it. Stop crying, man. It's almost as if the Lord is saying this. Are you serious? Are you serious? Did you not see that my promises are forever? And if I've spoken something to existence, my word cannot return void. Because I already said it out of my mouth. Now I'm stuck in that it has to happen. Are you seriously going to come crying to me? I already said it. Now go get it. That's what God's saying. As a matter of fact, you know he's saying that because look what he says. He says, do me a favor. Turn around. Get out of my presence for a second. And go tell your people to what? Go forward. Why are they looking back? My command to them was never to look back. You guys remember the story of Lot's wife? Don't look back, woman. The moment that anyone in this family looks back, they're going to turn into a pillar of salt. You sure? Just trust me, the angels said. Do not look back. So everyone's running out of Solomon and Gomorrah. And one fool had to always look back. She's, I doubt it. I'm going to really turn into a pillar of salt. That's impossible. So she turns back and she's destroyed. It kind of speaks to us on our walk, right? When setbacks happen and we begin to look back, Destruction starts entering our lives because the believer was never called to look back. The believer was always been commanded to look forward. And that's good. That's good. That's good. When Jesus was on the cross, he didn't look back. He looked forward. When he was in the garden, he didn't look back. He looked forward. As a matter of fact, the greatest, well, it's called the greatest commission, right? The great commission is all about what? Going forward. Nothing's about going back. Hey, if it doesn't work over there, come back. No. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was sending out the disciples two by two by two by two, he says, go to the village, go to the village, go to the village. And if one does not accept you, you know what he says? Don't come back. If one does not accept you, guess what you do? You go back to the, you go forward to the next village. You keep going. God has never given us a command to go back in the Bible. 
always to go forward. So here, here, you have, here you have Moses crying to the God. And God's like, Moses, are you serious? Stop crying to me. My goodness, you're such a baby. Tell the children of Israel to go forward. And then we keep reading. Let's keep reading with me. And then he says this. But lift up your rod, Moses. I gave you the rod. Do you remember, dummy? Remember, you put it on the ground. It turned into a snake. You lifted it up. It became a rod again. Do you remember the stick that I gave you? Moses like, oh, yeah, the rod. I almost forgot. So God's like, lift up the rod. Stretch it over the sea. And divide the sea, for goodness sakes. Watch it. Watch it happen. And then it keeps on. It says, and the children of Israel will go forward on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I will harden the heart of the Egyptians. They will follow your children. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, chariots, horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself. Because that's all about God's business. I want honor. I want glory. Give it to me. All right, watch this. I've gained honor for myself. Okay, you read that. And the angel of God, am I skipping stuff? I am, right? I know, my good. 18, then the Egyptians shall know that I, the Lord, when I've gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen, and the angel of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them. Man, this is good. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. Uh, what? This is amazing. The people are marching forward. The enemy is marching towards them. And God is like, I got you. I got you. Just keep looking forward. There's going to be a cloud of fire by night and a cloud during the day. And the angel will stand before you and say, come on, everyone, follow my, I got your back. And, and he's chasing them. But there came a moment, I need you to catch this, as the children of Israel are being led by this fire of God and by this angel, like, this is so awesome. Now, they begin to look back and they're like, Oh my gosh, but, but what are you going to do about that? That the angel of God says, my goodness, these people are so ignorant. So he leads them from the front and he says, just wait here, keep going forward. And he starts walking towards the back and the scripture says that the pillar of cloud went from before them and he now stands what? Oh my goodness gracious. Because we don't only serve a God that leads from the front, but you and I serve a God that also leads from the back. Now when you think that your enemy has you, he says, I just don't lead you to your promised land. I lead you while you're walking there because I don't only lead you, but I got your back as well. We serve a God that doesn't lead us forward, but leads us from behind too. When the enemy comes with the same old lies, he shuts his mouth because he's a God that leads from the back as well. I thank God that I serve a God like that. I thank God that he has my front. He's my rear guard and my front guard. He's my eastern guard and my western guard. He is a guard that is set all around me. That when the enemy comes and I'm coming to make my comeback and I hit a setback in the midst of my comeback that I can look at the enemy in the eyes and I could say, you might be here to taunt me and you might be here to whisper those same old lies into my ear. But be very careful because if you haven't noticed, God's got my front, my back, my left, and my right. That's big. That's big. And, and, and you look at this and, and you start seeing all this unfold. First off, what do we see? Moses comes up in the forefront and he's like, fight, fight, fight. We're going to win. We're going to win. And everyone's like, all right, let's do it. Wow, what does that show me? That shows me in the beginning verses that Moses, God puts him there. Why? Because the right person at the right place, at the right time, with the right words could lead people. To the right place, man. So I'm going to ask the church a question. And be ready to answer this to yourself. Who is your right person? At the right place. At the right time. With the right words. Can you answer that today? Let me tell you why. Because those people in your life are vital to a comeback's life. Oh, you don't believe me? Proverbs 13, 20 says it. You walk with wise men and you become wise. Here's Moses. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I don't even think he really believed it. He said it at the right place, at the right time, the right words. It did something. Because you look at verse 19 and how amazing. How amazing is that the Lord who leads before us, he also leads from behind us. Now listen, your obstacle and your setback and the enemy, they can't conquer 
the destiny that the Lord has before you. They can't. He can't. There's no way. Now listen to what I'm about to tell you. They sure can torment you. Yes, that could happen. They could torment you, though, with memories that you've left behind. Anyone have memories behind in Egypt? Come on, man. Any of you have memories behind in Egypt? How is God ever going to bless my future marriage? When I knew better than what I did, and I knew God was telling me to stay Sullivan. I knew God was telling me to stay pure, but I had sex before marriage. I'm never going to be blessed now. I'm cursed. God's never going to bless my union. You've never heard the lies of the enemy? No? How am I ever going to serve God again in ministry? I've already served him once, and I failed. I was made a fool. Everyone saw me. Everyone saw what I was made of, and I was put out there to shame, and I'll never be able to serve the Lord in the same capacity. You've ever done that? I mean, I could go through experience, through experience, through experience, through experience, through experience, through experience, and just give you examples of that walk. And the truth is, he could never mess around with your destiny and conquer your destiny, but he could sure mess with the memories and bring memories back into your mind that you actually left behind in Egypt. Let me, let me explain to you what I mean. Here are the Israelites, and they're leaving Egypt, and as they're leaving Egypt, they're no longer in Egypt, but guess what they begin to speak about? Darn Egypt again. My goodness, stop talking about Egypt. It's like, can I tell you what that's like? I mean, can I be honest with you? It's like being with a girlfriend, and as you're being with your girlfriend, all you're doing is talking about your ex-girlfriend. She's like, can you shut up? I'm with you now. It's like being with your boyfriend. And all you're doing is talking about your ex-boyfriend. Really? You're going to do this? It's like being with your husband. And all you're doing is talking about your ex-husband. Really? And here are the children of Israel. And they're like, but Moses, in Egypt. And Moses is like, shut up. You're no longer in Egypt. God broke you off of that. But what happens is this. The enemy comes. And he, come on, I need you to catch this. He knows very well that he can't conquer your destiny. But he could bring back memories of your past. Because he knows that the only person that could destroy their own destiny is you yourself. Because what God has for you, nothing can separate that. Nothing can come against that. Sometimes our greatest setback in life is you yourself. It's not the enemy. It's you yourself. And here are the children of Israel being tormented from their past. Because let's be honest, if I, I don't know, maybe, I probably would have been just like them. But I say this with some falsely attitude in me, but watch this. If I were to be led by an angel that is in the fire of a cloud and I'm looking at that junk, I'm going to be like, I'm not, I, I, got, I believe that thing because that thing would freak me out. All right? You understand what I'm trying to say? But it shows you how deep and how strong and how hard the enemy's lies are as they continue to come back. Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about. You've had the enemy come to your life and whisper into your ear lies that you begin to start to believe. I can't believe she. She didn't even mean that. You allowed the enemy to whisper that to your ear. I can't believe they shut up. You're thinking things in your ear. That's not even true. And everyone here has probably had times in their lives where the enemy has whispered something and has been so strong and so mighty. And here are the children of Israel. Watch this. Here's the children of Israel. And what's so amazing is this. Ready? The Israelites had such a, had, had as much a greater issue before them. I need you to catch this. Had a much greater issue before them than they did that was behind them with the Egyptians. Why? What was before them, church? A big old body of water. If I were the Israelites, I'll be freaking out because I'm running, and then I stop and like, there's water. I can't swim this. I'm going to drown. It's too much. That's what I would have complained about probably, right? Because I'm running away from those guys. But I have a greater issue in front of me. I can't run anymore. But notice how stuck they are to the enemy's lies. That their greatest issue is not what's before them, which is the water that they need to cross. 
Because that's what they should have really been complaining about. Their greatest issue is the one who no longer has control over them, who was chasing them, the Egyptians. Do you understand how when the thing that had you bound for so long comes back to you and begins to whisper to you again, that you will stop being focused on what you're looking forward at and you begin again to listen and look again to what you left behind. And that has a great power over a believer's life because God never called us to look back, always to look forward. And here are the Egyptians. And they knew that the Lord was leading them and he was leading before them, whether it was through an angel, whether it was a cloud or a pillar of fire. And that is when God says, here, my sons, my daughters, do you not see? And he moves to the back that I leave from behind. And, and I look at this and I say, well, the setback here in the Egyptians' life, it is just a push to get them through their greatest comeback. And that is, is cross through the water. You guys know what I'm talking about? Let me explain to you. Uh, 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 let me get Tito. Come over here. And here's Tito. Pretend, come on, come on. Pretend Tito is, is eight years old, which is a little bit taller. Should have gotten a shorter guy. And, 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 and Tito is right here at the edge, right? And, and, and over here there's a pool. You've, you all have little children, grandchildren, um, nieces and nephews, and you're like, jump. No, mommy. No, dad, I'm scared. Come on, jump. No, I'm scared. Like, just jump. They got you. Just jump. No, no, I'm scared. And you're like, papi's right here, man. Just jump. And, and no, I'm scared. And then what do you do? You start coming from behind them, and you start doing what? Come on. You can do it. And until finally you do what? Just jump. And you push them in. Okay, stop, stop. Now, now, what's happening to the children of Israel, it's what's happening to children in the pool. Here are the children of Israel represented in Tito. Walk now. They're walking to their promised land. And God says, stop, stop, walk slow. And God says this, ready? God's like, come on, keep going, keep going. So God's like, how do I make sure, stop for a second. How do I make sure that they keep going? I know how to make sure they keep going. Let me harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's heart gets hardened. He grabs all his best soldiers. He says, all right, Pharaoh, now start chasing my children. And here comes Pharaoh. Go ahead, keep walking. I'm chasing you. He's chasing them. All that's really happening right now is God using the fool Pharaoh and his armies to be the tool to push him forward, not to kill him, but just to get him to go. And here are they thinking, you know what, God, they're going to kill us. 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 Ready? And the whole time, God is like, I'm not going to kill you. Now, Mike, come over here. Mike is Pharaoh and his armies. Ready? Mike is Pharaoh and his armies. And here is Egypt, and they're trying to get to the promised land. And you're like, come on, I'm a big old cloud of fire. And now you look back, and you're like, oh, now ready? Show a face of shock. <gasps> they're going to kill me. And God's like, oh, my God. So now God has to come behind him and said, really, I have to do this for you? And now he goes like this. And what the whole time he's like, he's like, I'm not trying to kill you. What I'm doing is I'm trying to use this fool to be an instrument of mine to get you to move forward. Because I don't know if I don't set setbacks in your life, if you're ever going to move forward. Because some of your setbacks are the greatest opportunities for some of your best comebacks, ladies and gentlemen. Hallelujah. And that's what God was trying to do the whole time. But the children of Israel were blind. They're going to kill us. They're going to kill us. But all oh, they would have just known that God was just pushing them from the back saying, that a boy, Pharaoh. That a boy, Pharaoh. Why? Because that setback was meant for your comeback. It was never meant for your death, church. Oh, but I'm going to get fired. Do you really think that there's not another job waiting for you? Oh, but my husband is never going to forgive me. Do you really think that God paired you with that husband? Oh, but my children are never going to change. Do you really think that when you presented those children to the Lord, that's what God meant about that? Come on, somebody. What God is trying to tell you is I put circumstances and I put setbacks in your life just to push you and boost you forward because I don't know if I would have never said those things if you would have ever got in there in the first place. Setbacks are a setup for your comeback. That's it. But when we begin to have carnal minds over the thing, we look at them as our distractions of death over our lives. Man, this is good. The setbacks is a push. So what can I learn from a setback? Well, number one, it should teach me to have ability to recover. Number two, it should teach me that I should have persistence, ability to hold firm. You guys know what Moses said? Don't fear. Stand what? Stand firm. So number one, I should learn to recover. Number two, I should learn to hold firm. Number three, the setbacks should teach me that something's about to break. Something's about to break. Not your soul, not your spirit. Huh? 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 But how about that water better break because I'm making a comeback. Those three things that were setbacks are meant for. Something's about to break and it was your comeback and it was that water that was about to break. I'm talking about a breakthrough. Not a breakdown and not a break up. And God is about to make a way where there is no way. And for the children of Israel is, you see that water? Watch how I cut that thing in half. There's your break. 
so good. So the setback brought forth a great break, the breaking of water. Let's end this thing. Look at verse 12. I mean, verse 21. Let's read this. Chapter 14, verse 21, and then we're going to finish this off really quick. And I'll get T to go up there and just play me an awesome song there. It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wing. All that night, and he made the sea into dry land. Can you imagine that? I mean, I would love to see that, man. Like, wow. And the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry land. And the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and they went after them in the midst of the sea and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen. And it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. And he troubled the army of Egyptians. Verse 25. He took off their chariot wheels. Yeah, the Lord is just messing with them now. So that they drove them with difficulty. You know what that means? God what? He put the what on them? Put the brake on them. Man, they're going kind of fast. They're catching up. They're catching some speed on my children. So what does he do? I got this. Wheels come off. Puts the brake on them. And now they're struggling to get to the children of Israel. Watch what happens next. He troubles them. He takes off their wheels. So now they drive with difficulty. You try to drive on just your rims. It's hard, man. Never done it. I'm just saying it's hard. And then the Egyptians said, um, let us flee. Watch what he says. Let us get out of here and stop chasing Israel. This is dangerous. Because the Lord what? Fights for them. But come back. It's all about this right here. That we could stand and say, if they only understood that the Lord fights for me. Do you understand that the Lord fights for you if you're children of God? The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hands over the sea so that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians. Can you imagine that? No way, Lord. You're going to do that for real? Yeah, Moses, watch. It's going to fall on their chariots and on their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth. While the Egyptians were fleeing into it, the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came out from the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. You know what that means? No one made it. But the children of Israel, they walked on dry land in the midst of the sea. And the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left hand. And the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. Look what it says next. And Israel saw the Egyptians what? Wow, 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 dead. And they saw them dead on the seashore. So Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed the Lord, and they believed his servant Moses. Church, we need to start realizing that the commander of the Lord's army, he fights for you and he fights for me. The Lord is, is driving us deeper through the experiences we go through. And if we continue to look ahead, we will realize that every setback was actually meant to boost, push, move us forward, move us ahead. You almost get to see the voice of God in this by saying this. I didn't drive the armies here to kill you. But I drove the armies here to get you to walk through the impossible. Which is the division of the Red Sea. I didn't bring the armies here to kill you, but I brought them here to push you forward. And watch this. But to kill them before you. To drown them before you. Because our setbacks are to push us to our greatest comebacks. 
And as I read this scripture in Exodus 14, that they're all, not one remained. I looked at that verse and I said, well, God, there are some things in my life that I would love for you to drown away. I definitely would love for you to drown it. Anyone here have some things? And almost the Lord is saying to us, I could handle that for you too. I could drown those things for you. Why would God allow these setbacks in my life? He's pushing you forward, church. He's getting you to a place that if you would never put those setbacks, who knows if you would have ever gotten there. Psalms 119.71 says, it is good for me that I was afflicted. Get out of here, David. Nothing is good about being afflicted. Yeah, it's good for me. How, David, is it good for you that you were afflicted? Watch what he says next. That I might learn your, your word, your statutes. I don't know if you guys caught this. Why would God allow setbacks in my life? Number one, because he wants to drive you to his word. Oh, I'm going through a problem. God's like, good, read the book, baby. And here's David, and David's like, it is good for me to be an afflict, to be afflicted. And the, and the whole world says, are you crazy? Nothing is good. And he's like, absolutely it is, because through affliction, I have never seen God's word the same way ever again. Number two, Romans 8.29 says this, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined, and he called them to conform them to the image of the Son. Why would God allow setbacks in my life? Number two, he's building character in you. Hey, you think the children of Israel's character changed a little bit after that day? You think they walked with their chin a little bit higher, their chest a little bit open? Mess with us now. Shoot, we just saw a whole army get killed. Mess with me now, baby. Building character. Bearing boldness. Building strength. Building firmness. That's why God puts setbacks in our lives. What's another reason why God might put a setback? I love how James puts it. James says this. Verse 6, he gives grace, more grace. So therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. But man, does he give grace to the what? The Lord is like, you know why I'm pushing you forward? Why I'm bringing setbacks to you? To destroy pride. To cause you to be humble. Because I like to give grace to humble people. Because in return, they give me glory back. And that's what I like. More grace for you. Lord, I'm going through a setback. God's like, cool. Because I have more grace through that setback for you. I'm going to end with the Charles Stanley quote. And this is what another quote that Stanley says. As adversity is always unexpected and unwelcomed. Can we all say yep? It is an intruder and a thief. And yet, in the hands of God, adversity becomes the means through which his supernatural power is demonstrated. That's good. You know, you could change adversity and put setbacks. Setbacks are always unexpected and unwelcomed. Setbacks are intruders and thieves. And yet in the hands of God, setbacks become the means through which his supernatural power is demonstrated. Let's stand. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, we thank you. I pray that we would learn that setbacks in our lives are not the end of us but they're bringing forth our greatest comebacks. The children of Israel had a promised land to get to, church. It was promised to Abraham, remember? And they needed to get there, but there was a setback. And the process of getting there, they had to realize that that future, that that land is for us. Did they get there eventually? Yes. Through Joshua, through that generation. Will Israel one day be the main focus of worship again? According to the scripture, yes. Will there be 
the presence of God that reigns in the temple of Israel again, according to scripture, yes, there will be. Will Israel be a place again where every nation will have to go to to worship the Lord? According to scripture, yes, it will. Why? Because it's a promise from God that the enemy cannot conquer and cannot destroy. I'm telling you today that there are promises in your life. Maybe similar to Israel. Maybe a whole lot different. And here's the enemy whispering to your ear again. And you think that he has power to destroy what God has already given you. But I haven't gotten there yet. No, but do you realize that God's already given it to you? Because he said it. And in that process, church, in that process, you look forward. You don't look back. There's setbacks. But don't let them drown you. You let God drown them. You keep going. You get to that promised land. You get there, even though there's a big body of water in front of you. Pastor Rigo, you want me to get there, but, but my husband doesn't change. That's your body of water. But my wife doesn't change. That's your body of water. But my children are never going to change. That's your body of water. But my job is never going to be replaced. That's your body of water. Because the Lord can just one day say, water, split. It cause you to walk right through it. To so the promise that you have. But church, you don't look back. That setback was given to you for a reason. Can you right now examine your life? Can you realize why is God showing me these things? And why is God doing this maybe? My question to you is though, well, where's God leading you to through all this? It's the bell at the end of the round, church, not at the end of the fight. Come on, there's another round. Your greatest comeback is right before you. Get to where the Lord has promised you. Fight for what is yours. Keep your eyes lifted up and keep looking forward for the enemy's lies has no more power over you in Jesus' name. My setback is a setup for my comeback. Can you say that? Lord, I thank you. Can you say this with me? Say, Jesus, thank you for my life. Thank you for setbacks. Some who, which were hard, some bit easier. Let me see that through each setback, you are showing me something about me. That I will walk forward in your promises and never look back and listen to the enemy's lies. That I will never allow him to conquer me, but that I will live in victory in the word that God has promised me. In Jesus' name. And we all say today, Amen. Can you give God some praise? Real quick, before you're dismissed, um, I wanted just to remind you that Tuesday, this Tuesday coming up, we have um, our men's meeting at 7. We ask all the men to be here. Uh, we really want all the men to be here. You know, it's, we really don't want to cheerlead you guys. Say, if you come... Should we give you a cupcake? Because sometimes I'm trying to figure out how to get you guys here. But we want to see all of you here, please. We believe that God has a special word and a teaching for all of us. Amen? So uh, we're really expecting for the men to be here. At what time on Tuesday? All right. We're holding you accountable. And then um, start inviting everyone and their mamas to our resurrection weekend, Easter weekend. We have an awesome concert on Easter Eve and an awesome service waiting on that Sunday, the 31st. Amen? Love you guys. Go in the grace of God, man. Set back, set ups for your comebacks. Keep going forward. God bless you guys.